You're listening to Crossings Conversations from Church Divinity School of the Pacific, a show about leaders creating Christian community and sharing God's love. This is Kyle Oliver, Communications and Marketing Manager at Church Divinity School of the Pacific, and I'm here with the Reverend Isaiah Shaniqua Brokenleg, Staff Officer for Racial Reconciliation for the Episcopal Church. Shaniqua, thanks so much for being with us. It's great to be here. So um, this is a conversation that we're having with lots of leaders across the Episcopal Church uh, about the future of leadership formation. And I, I know you've been in the position that you're in for a relatively short period of time, so feel free to answer this question however you like. Um, but we're curious about how um, how the people we're talking to, how they're thinking about leadership formation might have changed over the years. So I'm wondering, um, I'm wondering what you think about that. Um, it's definitely changed over the years. If you look at like <laughs> Jesus' time, right? Leadership was like a servant type of leadership, right? Mm-hmm. And um, somehow we got into this weird patriarchal leadership structure, um, which is very hierarchical. Uh, and so then that was the way it was. And probably that's what we think of when we think of like our church's leadership structure. And, um, and I think it's starting to change a little more now, right? You, we've coming back to the servant idea of leadership. And I think also looking at what leadership looks like in different ethnic groups. And so I know like for, um, like in college, um, when they were hiring for the, um, Office of Residential Life, the RAs or whatever. Oh yeah. The, the they would always look at how people were being leaders, and it's like you don't see that the Asian folks are leaders too. They're just leading by example rather than trying to control the situation all the time. And so there's a different leadership looks different in different cultures, and so we need to be thinking about that. And I think you're starting to see uh, more recognition of that very leadership, um, very cultural leadership. And people mm-hmm. acknowledging that and looking at that and recognizing that. And I think now you're also seeing more leadership as maybe more like facilitation or organizing mm-hmm. and almost like um, maybe I liken it a lot to like being a midwife, you know, you're there to help give birth to whatever's happening um, and you're not there to control it. Right. Because you're not, um, that's not your role. Your role is there to be more of a help or guide or doula in that process. Do you think that that sort of um, intercultural awareness of 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 leadership styles is is one of the places where our sort of intercultural competency um, needs to grow as a church? Oh yeah, <laughs> without question. Yeah, yeah. You're raised to have an identity as a cultural individual. Like I was raised to have identity as a Lakota person, and specifically a wink day, which is that third gender two-spirit role, right? Mm -hmm. And so I have that identity. And in going to a seminary that's not based in my culture, there's pieces that they're not even aware of that they're indoctrinating you into and they're trying to make you white um, or whatever the seminary culture is, Mm -hmm. which for most places it's white. And so um, they're not even aware that that's happening. So along with all those things that you have to learn, you have to really struggle to maintain your identity. So the question I constantly ask myself was, you know, how can I maintain and stay myself while also learning, but not giving up my identity as a Lakota person or as a Wink Day person or whatever. Um, And I think as educational systems start to think about that or look at different models, 
Um, I also went to school in Vancouver School of Theology, which has an Indigenous ministry program. Completely different way of teaching, completely different way of understanding how your relationship between your culture and your education can work together, rather than it being something that's sometimes competing with with things. Um, they recognize leadership a lot differently. And I think um, our church, I wish it did that too. I, even if like discernment process, for example, a lot of folks, they discern inside out, which maybe is the Western model. I feel like I am called and then my discernment process is set up for the community to then affirm it or not. Whereas in a lot of collectivistic cultures, it's actually the opposite. So you discern outside in. So my community is telling me, you know, we think you're called to the priesthood. We think you need to go forward with this. You need to start checking this out. And as a servant leader, you're there to listen to your community and to, you know, kind of do what they say. And especially my role as a wink day, that's part of my job too. Um, and so then when you're going into that discernment process, it's not set up to help you with that internal space because it's so used to doing the inside out model. And so thinking about how that works and how do and maybe it's a collectivistic and individualistic thing, but how do we switch to be a more collectivistic model of education or of our system? Uh, and looking at how looking at how education um, and how leaders show up in those spaces. That's super helpful. Thank you. What are some some stories of of leadership uh, from new leaders that you're that you're hearing or participating in that make you hopeful for the future of the church? Hmm, that's a good question. I think, well, good example. Um, I think we have to get out of this mindset that the clergy are the leaders. We 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 also have to think about lay leaders. Mm -hmm. And so, example, um, a young woman who's from uh, the cathedral here in Sioux Falls, she was like, "This is the most lentiest non-lent that I've ever had this summer," and I just wish we had some kind of pride thing. And, and that's what she wanted to do. And so um, she took the lead and started organizing people and calling people. And we put together this Episcopride that sort of happened across the country. And it, you know, included lots of folks of color and sort of held up Black Lives Matter. And um, it worked, it was, it worked out really well. And she just took the lead and it was this amazing thing that happened. And I think it couldn't have happened outside of a COVID sort of situation because mm -hmm. of the, all the virtual things that could have taken place. Um, all these different folks, anyway, that that came in and into play, and that was wonderful um, example of something that could happen. But I also, am seeing some wonderful collaborations that don't normally take place. I think sometimes in the past, clergy tend to be really competitive with each other, and it was like, well, you know, who has the higher ASA and who has the blah 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 blah. And I know in Indian country, that's always a challenge for us because. As Indian people, we tend to go to church differently than others. We might only go once a month or we go seasonally or, or we think of things as a season rather than as an every Sunday thing. And so mm -hmm. um, the priest will often be like, don't ask me my essay, ask me or my annual income or whatever. They'll be asking me how many funerals I've done, how many weddings I've done, how many mm -hmm. community events could I say that were that the Episcopal Church had a hand in. Um, that's a better way maybe to measure or how many... Um, how have I helped to improve this community or been a member of the community? I think now folks so much more are able to ask for help or able to work together, able to be like, they don't see it as a sign of weakness. And I think that was the risk, this, this model before where like the priest had to know it all or had to do everything and had to end there. And, 
and you know to be vulnerable was a weakness and now i think we're seeing a different sort of model and i think the model that's coming up is a much more jesus-centered model and i think that makes me hopeful for the future because it's a future that says um yes we can make mistakes yes we can change yes we can be flexible all those things that a church needs to do if it wants to stay relevant um and folks are doing that. I think I'm hearing you say that that COVID in some ways has like given us permission to to be vulnerable and to be more collaborative. And I'm wondering, um, how do you how do you think we like preserve that sense of of permission and collaboration and and um, uh, that that sort of sense of like non hierarchical possibility. Um, beyond COVID, if, if beyond COVID is even a sensible category. I Well, I think COVID didn't necessarily make us more vulnerable. I think we were more vulnerable on our own. I think that sort of happened. But I think mm-hmm. COVID made us sort of force us to collaborate or think about things differently. Sometimes it just takes some thinking out of the box. I think COVID helped us to do that thinking out of the box. But I think that vulnerable piece, I think it's just a change in how we think of a new model of leadership that you see mm-hmm. Um, growing. And I think it takes, um, it's, it's definitely, I don't know exactly where it started. I just know mm-hmm. you're seeing it more and more and people aren't, uh, well, some people still are that like where they're like, you know, I have to decide and it's on me and blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think there's more of a sense of, it's not about me. It's about the community or about the work that we're doing or the ministry that we're doing. And you're starting to see that a lot more and more. And that may be a generational thing, or maybe it's mm-hmm. a, who knows? I don't know. Yeah, yeah, but a, a positive development, nevertheless. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, great. Um, so for this question, I want to invite you to, um, you know, really, really think big. Um, we wanted to encourage participants to uh, um, think a little outside the box in terms of what a, a seminary class might look like. So uh, if you could like commission or if you wanted to co-teach or, or what have you, if, if, if the sky was a limit and you could invite anyone to teach some kind of, you know, special topics course uh, for today's seminarians, um, who would you invite and what would you, what would you want them to teach? Mm. Oh my gosh. Um, well, okay. A couple things that are just sort of on my, um, one is like we need to teach our seminarians to be facilitators. I think that's not a skill that we teach them, and that's the thing that they have to do a lot. Especially mm-hmm. people look to them as leaders, so they might be doing some community things. They should be able to facilitate. They need to run vestry. I mean, there's just all sorts of examples of why, why this mm-hmm. is so valuable. And we just not a course, at least it's never yeah. one that I saw. Um, and so I. I was trained in technology of participation or what they call TOPS facilitation model. I love those. I, I am like an evangelist for them. (laughs) And, uh, and also then we got the ethnic missioners were trained in that model too. I wish there was a class and organizing for ministries kind of like that class, but Mm -hmm. a class that helps us learn how to get folks from, from the pew to the public square or -hmm. from the pew to the protest. And I think we have so many, um, as Episcopalians, we like to sit in our pews and not move. We're like, yeah. we'll just write a check if we have to. We don't really like to get our hands dirty. Yeah. And yeah. I think for so long, that's helped us to perpetuate white supremacy. That's been part of the reason why those things are allowed to happen. And I I think we need a class to give people like all the different pieces of that that are important. Like what's the theological reasoning why we shouldn't just sit on our butts, why we need to get out there. Um, 
why we should be a transformative church, right? Mm -hmm. And then maybe some like practical skills about it. Here are some things you can do. Here's how to be a a movement chaplain or a protest chaplain. Here's how, you know, you might want to think about organizing community to do that. There's lots of different pieces in that. I think, well, no amount of seminary training can teach you everything you need to actually, when you go out there, which I think is the biggest, that's the thing that we got to tell everybody. I think that there should be like a class afterward, (laughs) you know, like, so now that you're in ministry or whatever, whatever you want to call it. So I could see like a panel and I just think it would be like a nice monthly meeting type of thing where the class could come and folks could share their challenges. When I started fresh out of seminary, I and was a vicar at a really small congregation in rural South Dakota. So it would have be helpful if I could find another alum who had yeah. a similar, you know, sort of yeah. those kind yeah. of demographics. It's just helpful to have somebody that can you can talk to. And yeah. I think that would be a great, a great, awesome, cool project or yeah. program or something. Well, um, we didn't want to start with this question because I, I think it's important to start um, start from a tone of, of, you know, of positivity. I'm curious from your perspective, what's, What's one change we could make to how leaders are trained um, at CDSP and the Episcopal Church, however you want to answer that, um, that would that would really make a positive difference? I think curiosity should be a requirement. Like when you, I mean, it should be paid, obviously, um, but you, I just think that's so helpful for folks. I kind of like the Lutheran model in some ways because they go out and they do that and then they come back for their third year. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Um, and I, I, I just think it would be so helpful if you had like a two or three year curacy after and it was just part of the process that you would go through. And ideally it'd be something that you'd work out with your bishop. Um, but I think that could be really helpful for folks. Um, the other thing is I think we need to train our leaders to be uh, transformative leaders, to be able to um, see a system and change it to make it better um, I don't think we train folks to do that. Or, and also entrepreneurial leaders, right? Our church mm-hmm. is not the wealthy church it used to be. And so we're going to have to figure out what that might look like, how to do entrepreneurial ministry, um, things that we can do to make, um, to make that work. But if you have that transformative leadership model, you'll know how to take whatever the world's coming at you with and be able to use it. I'm just curious if there's any other advice that you would uh, share with uh, with a seminary that's contemplating its future mission and role. Mm. That's tough. I mean, I think one, I think there's like a funding sustainability piece that they have to figure out. Like how can we, like we really need to endow our seminary so they can um, grow and be healthy into the future. And along with that, maybe we need to think about not just training priests, but how are we training lay leaders or what might that look like? And recognizing that maybe they're not after an MDiv, maybe they're after something else. Mm-hmm. Um, we, I think we need to figure out how to remove the, what I talked about earlier, that white supremacy or Western indoctrination in, that's in our pedagogy. Uh, we need to take that out of there somehow mm-hmm. or start to, start to tease it. Um, and so to, to help like folks of color um, maintain their identity while going through their educational mm-hmm. process. And I think part of that is we're going to have to try radically new ways of educating folks, like mm-hmm. something that doesn't necessarily involve a classroom. Some of the best 
training I got for for being a priest and working at the parish was actually being the sacristan at um, at the chapel. That like mm-hmm. leaps and bounds. Yeah, and there's something you know I think wise about that 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 sort of pedagogical vision, right? That that you know that 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 an embodied. <laughs> Uh, experience um, a, a sort of practical experience of like really being able to like try things out. Lots of folks in these conversations have mentioned like the importance of failure. Um, you know, like classrooms are not necessarily places where we're like encouraged to make mistakes, um, uh, or if we do, they're they're sort of seen as like punitive rather than um, uh, than um, as a as a like value neutral learning opportunity. Um, so yeah, that makes a lot of sense to me. When I have a grade attached, at least for me, I, it, my anxiety goes through the roof and as Indian people, um, you can look at the studies and we don't like grades. We're not good with that. We don't like tests and we're much more experiential and we can feed you something, but more conversationally, which is one of the things I liked about the Canadian program, any paper you had to do, you can do orally. So you have Mm -hmm. a conversation with your professor. They ask you questions, you give them feedback. Um, and that's so much more helpful. And they have a better sense of you when they're done. If we go back and look in like Lakota culture, you study under the medicine person and they guide you and help you and they kind of push you and they can see whatever they call your shadow self. And, you know, they can help push things out and figure that out. Um, and you're expected, expected to be a good relationship. But I think in seminary, it's so much like a school with grades and with classrooms and you know, all that stuff. That's a totally different model. Some of that like apprentice style of things that also is helpful because it lets you slowly step into it. Like when I've helped, um, you know, Lakota, I don't call them medicine people, but people who are traditional Lakota spirituality folks, you know, if, if I've helped them, they taught me how to build a sweat lodge. So I know how to do it. And, you know, I helped, you know, do the stones one day, or they might ask me to do different things. And then I slowly learn the role and I don't need to have like, uh, be a deacon to do that, or it might not need to priesthood to do that, but they know when you're ready and they can ask you to lead the sweat, you know, when you're ready, or they can ask you whatever. And I think it's the same. It could be the same with churches if we had more of a gray area. That's a lot to think about. Well, Shaniqua, thank you so much for, uh, for being with us for this conversation. We really, uh, really appreciate your time and your insight. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. It's been great to talk to you. Crossings Conversations is a co-production of Church Divinity School of the Pacific and Trinity Church Wall Street. If you enjoyed the show, please rate and review it on Apple Podcasts or share it with a colleague. You can learn more about the only Episcopal seminary on the West Coast and subscribe to Crossings Magazine at cdsp.edu.